great. Well, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. We really, really appreciate it. And to create something that's truly, truly unique and very, very different. Uh, and I got to say, um, I usually don't say on a personal note, but on a personal note, as someone who's survived a bad uh, car accident, you know, you start to th look at life a different way. And I was curious if the if the original inspiration, even though we're into season two now, I came from something like that, that made you sort of rethink your reality, so to speak. Yeah, I, mean, I would say that a lot of the inspiration for me for the show came from an actual breakdown that I had, both physically, yes. emotionally, and mentally, and a, a seeking, a seeking of a way to heal myself and realizing that it wasn't just physical, that it, it needed to be emotional, it needed to be soulful, it needed to be spiritual, that there was a whole new awakening that I needed to experience mm -hmm. to survive, actually, to, you know, and it felt near death. Like I, I lost a lot of weight. It, it was scary for my friends and family. Um, but ultimately it was the best thing that ever happened to me in terms of how I'm living my life and why I'm living my life. Um, so we wanted Alma to have a near death experience and, um, a car accident was the way that we went. Yeah. And, um, Raphael, have you had a similar, uh, experience or similar thought about that? Um, I, I, not like Kate, no, um, thankfully. It has the more uh, germane story uh, for that question. Uh, I think my, my way in was a little more uh, just about character and relationships and, and you know, what, what would a crisis like this uh, do to someone at this point in their life? Mm -hmm. uh, Samuel Leggett from JVS Media and Productions. Next question, please. Yeah, no problem. Um, I just wanted to say that as a show, um, from a conceptual design, like visually, it's just so fascinating to me. Like it is thought provoking, it's emotional, it's funny at times, very dark humor at times, but tackling mental illness is one thing, but you're also tackling like the family dynamic, which all of us, you know, have, you know? And I was just curious, um, from the original inception of this, did you guys originally, I guess it's for both you guys a question, do you originally, envision this to be as visually immersive as it was or did you kind of like okay this is what we want but then it started to progress to the visual style that you have it I was really curious about that well I, I I'll say just to start and you can ping pong off me Kate but like I don't think either of us imagined that it would be this beautiful and this gorgeous and this immersive I mean we were blessed to have so many talented uh, animators and artists working on this show and kind of uh, bringing it to life beyond our wildest dreams um, you know, I was just on uh, an airplane recently uh, with my family and my wife was watching uh, season one to catch up, to get ready for season two, because she's very excited and it's been a few years so she wanted to re refresh. And I was just like looking over her shoulder while she was watching and I was kind of taken aback. I'm like, oh, this show is beautiful. And like, I've worked on this show. I've seen every episode so many times, but just every time it's like, oh yeah, like a splash of cold water to the face of like how how visually arresting and immersive it actually is. It's, it's incredible for me. Yeah, and there's definitely a, an evolution in terms of the visual storytelling. You know, first we didn't know, is this gonna be live action, is this animation? If it's animation, who's the animator? Because of course the animation style really determines like the look and feel and tone of the show. And then we found Hisko Hulsing. Our EPs, Noel Bright and Steve Cohen saw his pieces from Montage of Heck. 
Uh, and right away they recommended him as a potential collaborator for this. And Raphael and I loved his work immediately because it is so dramatic and so full of so much emotion, which we wanted to convey through the storytelling. So it felt like the perfect fit. And they actually had to chase Hisco down. He was speaking at Berkeley and had already decided he was never going to do TV or movies ever again. It was just going to do oil painting. And so they had to convince him. <laughs> they shared the scripts with him and he loved the scripts and found himself crying on an airplane reading these scripts. <laughs> and it's like, well, I do get emotional airplanes, but I think the, the scripts are actually very emotional. <laughs> um, the common thread here is the secret is that airplanes make everyone more emotional. <laughs> so all art should really be experienced on airplanes to get the full effect. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yes, I, I, I think we, we love the way that it's grown, but even the animation process, like the first kind of test that we did and the first time we saw the first two minutes of what it could look like was mind blowing for us. Uh, and we were shocked, but even from then it's grown and evolved and continues to deepen and become richer and more fluid. So it's pretty exciting. Okay, Paul, next question. Just you need to unmute, please. Uh, modern technology. Well, you know, the, one of the great things is that, uh, you know, when you have art that makes you think and makes you discuss later on about these things, it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I'm sure each of you remember what piece of art that was for you. But for those that want to take what you've done and run with it and create, tell their own story, what advice would you give them? Because it's certainly not easy to do something of the scope, but you've done it and done it so well. Yeah, I, mean, I would say, reach for the stars, go for it, like, you know, figure out how to make it happen, write that thing that's really personal and emotional is going to help us talk about the human experience in a way that will elevate all of us, um, bring us closer together, free us from our pain, uh, do it because we need it. <laughs> and, um, and, and believe in it and find collaborators who help lift and tell the story and who have skills that you don't have who can make it a better project and, um, and, and go for it. And I would just say from a, a practical uh, writing advice standpoint to invest in the truth and, and find the reality underneath whatever fantastical idea that you have. And that, you know, for us, Undone is really a story about family. And it's a story about uh, one character's struggle with their mental health and with reality. But it's all about the relationships. Um, and so if you can find that that beating heart that you can connect to, it's gonna, it's gonna bring life to, to, to what you do. And as personal and specific as you think it might be, other people are gonna see that honesty and they're gonna find their, their own ways in. And that sometimes I think we get afraid of our own stories because we think if we're too personal that other people, how could they possibly relate to it? But I found that the truth is the opposite, that, that the more personal and honest you, you make it, uh, people have their own resonances and they come to it with their own experiences and they'll, they'll recognize that, that third rail of honesty and they'll plug into it. Samuel? Yeah, um, with, with family in, in general, like the family is just so fascinating um, because they lost their dad and trauma really has defined them all on an individual basis as to the decisions but the transition now, interestingly enough, going into the second season is now they have, you know, this person back in their lives. So that trauma isn't there, but what it's doing, what it appears to be doing at this point that I'm seeing it 
is that you're pinpointing the holes that they already had on an individual basis. And I was curious from, from a written standpoint, from a story standpoint, did y'all already start to plan that ahead of time in season one? And what are you guys trying to show? Because trauma in itself, like it changes a person in an individual basis, but it also changes the family as a whole. Now that that trauma has been replaced and still there, it's pinpointing and refining these characters on a very individual level. So I was curious if y'all would like to talk towards that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what's interesting is that Jacob is still there and the, the trauma has shifted. You know, people still have pain and suffering, but the fact that he's still there is causing other kinds of complications, right? Like he's shut down. He's unwilling to look at deeper truth because he wants the status quo to stay how it is. He doesn't want to jeopardize the reality that he has. And that's creating problems, right? Because he's not reaching out to his wife, who's obviously in pain and suffering and getting to the deep root of the cause of that because he's afraid, like he's living in a, in a state of fear and wants to be just buckled down and be hiding under the covers. So that's creating problems. Um, and also the fact that they're still married and Jacob is still there, it's creating complications in Camilla's life around this child. You know, it's possible that in the season one timeline, that child reached out and they still had that relationship, but she didn't have to hide it from her husband, right? And so it wasn't causing the same kind of suffering and inconvenience. Um, so I think to me, it's interesting that like there's always going to be trauma. There's always going to be complications. There are always going to be obstacles. And it's up to us ultimately to figure out how to deal with them both internally and in relationship. Yeah, I, I think one of the, 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 the beauties of getting to tell uh, stories in, in, in the format of narrative serialized television over multiple seasons is you get to grapple with the question of what happens after you've gotten what you thought that you wanted. And, and the truth is there's, there's always something else there. Like I remember uh, I had a friend who told me uh, about a nose job she got because she said every day I would look in the mirror and I would just hate my nose. And I knew that if I could just fix my nose, I would be such a, a much happier person. And I did, and it's exactly the nose I always wanted. And now I look in the mirror and I just look at my hips and I look at, uh, <laughs> you know, and there's, you're, you're seeing other stuff. And, but then I also <laughs> actually have another friend who has the exact same story with the opposite ending of I got my nose job and I was right and I'm much happier now. Um, and so the truth is, I think there's a certain kind of person that is always going to be scratching at itches and is always going to be finding other things to be, you know, unsatisfied about. And there is another kind of person that, no, they, they see problems and they fix them and they're fine. Um, and I think those kinds of people are not necessarily the kinds of people that I'm interested in writing television about. I think I'm much more interested in the first kind. <laughs> but I would say that maybe Alma and Becca are one of each of those kinds, yeah. right? And that maybe the yeah. kind of, I, I, I am fine with it. This is what I wanted and I'm happy now. I don't know. It's my perspective, but that might be not looking at a deeper truth. That might be deciding maybe. to live on the surface, but, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe you're totally happy and <laughs> that's great. You got what you wanted and it's, it's good. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when, when casting for something like this, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a little bit different than, than when you're seeing someone, um, I guess, in, in real life, so to speak. Uh, but how did you know that you, because, you know, if, if you get the wrong person, this could really go wrong. Oh my God, another TV show. This, this takes so many different layers. And so how did you know, especially with Rosa, that you had the right lead? Because that's it was so, so important with this. 
when Rosa came in and we sat down and met with her and we loved her right away. Just, well, she has a personal story that relates to this. Like she lost her father. She was in a car accident and had near life and death experience. And uh, she's just like, I need to do that. I, I, I need to do this. Like, this is something that I need to do as an expression of who I am and an exploration of this character in my, in terms of my relationship to my own reality. But she also has such um, like an, a piercing intensity that we feel like Alma also has. And she also has like a, a bristliness that, that Alma also has. It's kind of like, it's me against the world feeling and I'm going to conquer the world and figure it out. And the world needs to hear from me and I'm going to get down to the truth of things. And I think that's Alma. Like she's a seeker. She's, she's not going to like live in the constructs of society and figure out her way to kind of glide through them and get along. No, she's going to break down society and she's going to rebuild it in a way that is actually better for everyone. And so I think Rosa carries that in her personality and she blends so naturally right into the character of Alma. I remember, um, and Kate, you'll correct me if, if my memory is faulty here because it might be a little bit off, but I remember you know, early on in our conversations with, with Bob Odenkirk, who plays her, her dad, Jacob, that he was always very interested in this project and, and this story, but you know, we, we're never quite sure if we're going to get him or not because he's a very busy guy. He's doing a lot of projects. And I think even when we were shooting the first episode, which he's not really in, I don't know if we actually had him 100%. We thought, okay, this is probably going to be Bob Odenkirk, but it might not be, and, and we'll see. And then uh, because of the nature of the project, how many steps are, are, are there are to it, unlike a, um, a normal uh, live action show where you're shooting one week after the other, there's a large space between shooting each episode. And so by the time we were going to start shooting episode two, we already had edited together episode one, not the animated rotoscope version, but just the live action reference footage. And so we brought Bob in and we showed it to him just so he would have a sense of like what he was going to be doing, because it's a very difficult thing to explain if you've never acted in a rotoscope project before how it actually works. So to kind of show him like this is this is what it's going to feel and look like. And even on that stage, you know, looking at these performances without the benefit of the backgrounds or the props or the animation and kind of all that magic, you know, he watched this first episode, which is almost all, I mean, Rosa is in every scene. It's almost a story start to finish. And he commented, he said, you know, um, if, if you don't have this character, if this casting isn't right, this whole show doesn't work. Uh, and this show works. That he 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 like he he recognized even then that like oh yeah uh, we have what we need to 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 make this character and to make this show. Sam, we have about a minute left. If you have one more quick question, yeah, sure, well, we can segue from that. So uh, I mean, the funny thing about the show is I remember a Keanu Reeves movie called uh, Scanner Darkly. I thought yes. that the visual style from that was like so unique. But I was like, nobody's really refined it and done anything with it on an emotional level. And you guys killed it with that the first season. So from my question is like with the technology and with the undertaking of doing that, how's that evolved going into the second season? Like, has it gotten easier? Has it gotten harder? Um, you know, what is it that um, I guess the, the shift from season one, to season two, from a technological standpoint and what's the undertaking, I guess? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll jump in first. Uh, to say that like actually a lot of people who worked on that movie also worked on Undone. Um, and the, the truth is there are not that many uh, rotoscope projects. 
So there are not that many opportunities for rotoscope artists to, to hone their craft. And so a lot of the, the ones who are really good at it really do kind of jump from, from thing to thing. And the truth is every project is an opportunity for, for them to practice and get better at it, right? And so just by the nature of now Undone two seasons in being, uh, you know, about seven, eight hours of content, like that is more <laughs> rotoscope uh, than really in one place than has ever been done before. So it's, you, you know, you mentioned the technology, but the truth is it, it's the artists that, that they themselves have discovered new tricks and new ways of doing things and new ways of articulating certain actions or movements to express things even cleaner and, and more clearly. Um, and it's these, these incredible artists who've been honing their craft. And I'm very grateful that by having this, this big production, we've given them more opportunities to hone their craft more and to really build on what they've already done and the lessons they continue to learn and, and, and the work they continue to do.